All right, good morning, church. So we are in Genesis 46. There are 50 chapters in Genesis, which tells you we are getting close to the finish line, which is crazy. This has been a fantastic year studying through the book of Genesis. But from Genesis 46 forward, I'm talking the rest of the Old Testament, Israel becomes the centerpiece. Now, I know some of you are gonna get, um, you're gonna try to Jesus juke me here. And you're like, no, God's always the centerpiece. Of course he is, God is the table. Israel though, from Genesis 46 forward, everything revolves around the story and the history and the line of Israel. So it's pretty fascinating how this one moment here in scripture just sort of launches us into the rest of the Old Testament. I think sometimes the Bible seems um, so overwhelming. It seems so big, but when I have moments like Genesis 12, the promise from, to Abram, you go to Genesis 46, everything now is on one track. It just seems to shrink everything down a little bit. So Genesis 46 is where we're gonna be. Can't believe we're almost done with the book. But um, this morning, before I get going, I wanna just tell you this, because uh, this is where the scriptures naturally take us. I, I'm not a big applications teacher. We teach the scripture. We're not Bible principles. We teach the Bible. And so the Holy Spirit speaks to each and every one of us sometimes a little bit differently. But where this passage actually drops us off today, I, I feel very hypocritical even going here. I mean, and I'll tell you, I'm just going to be just completely candid with you. The reason I feel so hypocritical where it drops us off is because I turned on the news uh, last week and I saw people, you know, in New York ripping down uh, American flags and stomping on them and and I, I'm just, like, I get angry. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how you guys feel. Maybe you're okay with it. I get angry when I see these, you know, a bunch of college kids march around screaming, chanting, you know, from the river to the sea, Palestine must be free. I get angry because they don't even know what they're saying. They're calling for the wiping out of all of the Jewish nation. And so I see these things happen, and I start getting angry. And when I get angry, all of a sudden my heart gets dark, and I can't do what this passage naturally drops us off to do. And so while I've studied this week and while I've prepared this, and the way I'm going to land us today is maybe you are in the same place that I am today. And so I'm going to give us a chance at the very end just to sort of repent and, and just draw our hearts near to God, to sort of push this, some of the, the natural things that we feel out so that God's supernatural can begin to take hold of our hearts and our lives. And so that's where we're going today. Um, Genesis 46, let me cover some prayer. And then I don't even know why I just confessed that to you, but it's, that's my story. God, I thank you and I praise you for the scriptures. I thank you today that as we come together, it is a reminder that you have established, that you have ordained things that take place. And specifically, Lord, the nation of Israel and the way that it was formed and the history behind it. Lord, I just pray that today as we watch the, the formation of the way the rest of the scriptures are going to be written, Lord, just you would see that there is a, a theme, an overwhelming theme that teaches our hearts and our lives how to walk faithfully with and before you. So today, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, I ask God that you would speak to every single person under the sound of my voice, Lord, using your word and your truth to do that. We praise you for your son, Jesus. It's through him that we have salvation. It's through him that we have access to you. And it is through him today, most certainly, that we pray. Everybody in the house said, amen, amen, amen. All right, Genesis 46, 
1 is where we're going to start. It says this. It says, so Israel took his journey. Now this is Jacob. Remember, God changed his name. He was Jacob. God changed his name to Israel, and he took his journey. And if you're wondering what journey he's taking, let me, taking, let me catch you up. Remember, back in Canaan, there was this massive famine that hit the whole land. Um, well, let me back up in case you haven't been here in several, several weeks. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, was sold in Egypt. He, re- he was risen, risen, raised, rose to power. Second most, I got it, the second most powerful person on planet Earth. And so, but back in Canaan, his 11 brothers who had sold him, his dad, they were run out of food. So they, Jacob sent his sons, his 11 sons, to go to Egypt to get some food to eat. They get there. Big reunion takes place with Joseph. Joseph says, hey, bring my dad, bring everybody back. So now, Jacob was reluctant. This is Israel was reluctant to go. Now, I do want to address this because a lot of people have been asking me, why is sometimes Israel referred to as Israel and sometimes he's referred to as Jacob? Remember, God changed his name to Israel. So why the change? And it happens just sort of mid-sentence at times. And there is no real good explanation. The best explanation that I have ever heard, found, or read is that Israel, anytime Jacob is called Israel, he is living in the redeemed state, meaning he is walking in obedience to what God has called him to walk in. Anytime he's called Jacob, it is sort of his flesh, his old ways. So there's the new ways and the old ways. That is not altogether, in my opinion, consistent And so I don't really buy into it. So there is no real huge logical reason. But nonetheless, Israel is taking this journey. Where is he going? He's going to Egypt. But on his way to Egypt, it says, with all that he had. So he's taking everything. They're moving from Canaan to Egypt. With all that he had, he came to Beersheba. Now in Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to God, the God of his father, Isaac. So Abraham had this this massive scene where he would go in and he set up shop and he, he would sacrifice, he would offer, set up offerings. Then Isaac, his son, comes along and he had these scenes where he would just pause life and he would sacrifice, sacrifice and worship God. And now Abraham's son, Isaac, had a son named Jacob. Now Jacob, who is Israel, as he's traveling, he's going to set up shop and he is going to worship. I think there's something very profound to be found in this specifically for us dads, that our kids are going to worship what we worship. So when we worship baseball, so will they. When we worship football, so will they. When we worship the Lord, maybe it will take some time, but so will they. And so I think it's very important that we understand the the modeling that we are putting forth. And in this, we see this. So dad did it, granddad did it, he does it. He's going to set up shop and sacrifice to God. Verse two, it says, and God spoke to Israel in a vision of the night. And he said, now, when he spoke to Israel here, I want to make sure that I say this because uh, several chapters ago, I said, this is God's last appearance in the book of Genesis. I didn't say it was the last time that God would speak, the last time God's power would move, I said it was the last time he would make an appearance through a, a Christophany or a Theophany, which is actually an appearance of the Holy and Righteous Father himself. Now, this is crazy. You ready for this? This is crazy. He said, Jacob, and he answered him, here I am. This conversation's happened. Remember back when Jacob's ladder, they've had this discussion before. Jacob, here I am. He made him confess who he was. Verse three, he says to him, I am God, the God of your father. 
Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Now, this is a problem. This is an issue. Why would God have to tell him not to be afraid to go down to Egypt? Well, it's obvious that he's setting up shop and setting up sacrifice and he's worshiping God and he's seeking God's leadership. He's obviously struggling with, to my point today, is I'm struggling with a little bit of hypocrisy in the way that I, motions, the way that I'm operating and feeling versus where the text is going to drop us off. For Jacob, it was probably he knew where he was going, but he wasn't walking in faith. He was walking in fear. And so God is going to affirm him and tell him, hey, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. Well, the reason he's going to be afraid to go down to Egypt, let me tell you this, for there I will make you into a great nation. God's promise is set before him. Same promise that his granddaddy got, Abraham. I'm going to make you into a great nation back in Genesis 15. Here he's saying, I'm going to do this. It's going to be fulfilled, so don't be afraid. But why was he afraid? Let me give you a little bit of history. A little bit of history. Why would Jacob be afraid to go to Egypt. It's the way he was brought up. It's the way he was raised. Like his whole life. Listen to this. I'm going to take you to Genesis 12, 20. This is Abraham's story. So his granddad. Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, him being Abram, Abraham. And they sent him, that's Abraham, and his wife, and all that they had out of the land of Egypt. So Pharaoh kicked them out. I think I'm missing a verse here, but that's okay. Kicked them out of Egypt. So Abraham, now he was kicked out of Egypt. Remember, he was like, they were like, hey, who's this beautiful woman, Sarah? He's like, oh, I don't know. It's my sister. And then Pharaoh finds out that he lied about his sister. Because of that, Pharaoh kicks him out. So granddad was kicked out of Egypt. Now Jacob's dad, Isaac, keep coming, come down a little one more, go to Genesis 26, 2. And the Lord appeared to him, him being Isaac, and he said, Do not go down to Egypt. A very strong warning. And so Jacob would have been brought up knowing that grandpa got kicked out of Egypt. The dad was told by God, never go down to Egypt. So it was instilled in him that there are some boundaries to your life. And Egypt is one of those places you're never, ever going to go. Don't even desire to go there. And so when God says to Jacob, Don't be afraid. I need you to go down to Egypt. This is going against everything in his nature. This is going against everything that comes natural to him. We all sometimes have things that feel very natural to us. And then God needs us to get out of our comfort zone and to faith him. I think faithing God is one of the most difficult things for us to do. I know it's something we can sing about. It's something we can say. But truly faithing God, truly stepping out of what is comfortable for us and doing it is very difficult. And Jacob is no different than you and I. He was struggling with, God, I'm fearful of what's in front of me. I'm fearful of what's about to take place. Again, I have multiple conversations every single day with people that are living in fear today, just looking around the world and seeing what's happening. I had somebody this last week, um, and this is awful, by the way. You talk about being a terrible pastor. It's affirmed right here. This guy said, hey, I'm just living in, I just, I'm having anxiety. I'm, I'm just, I'm living in complete fear. And it's because I just, I just, I just wanted a word from you because in this fear, it's like I see everything happen in the world. And I just, I look at our, president and our government, and I just don't trust them. Like, how can I, what can I do to feel more comfortable? I said, you're out of luck. (laughs) I mean, I got nothing 
There's nothing I can tell you that's going to help you find any sort of hope in either one of those two. And so, but at any rate, we all find ourselves living in fear at times. Listen to this. Let me keep going here. I got lost in my own words. Genesis 46, 4. I myself, this is God speaking, will go down with you to Egypt. So God's saying, I'm going to go with you. Again, my presence will be with you. And I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand will close your eyes. What he's saying is, I'm going to be with you when you go down to Egypt. And part of his desire, part of Jacob's desire to not leave Canaan, is because that's where his dad was buried. That's where his granddad was buried. And that's where he was supposed to be buried. And so God is saying, look, I know, you, I know you're going to long for home. I know home is home, and he's old at this point, too. And when we get old, you guys know this, some of you better than others. When you get old, you get stuck in your ways. You want your routine. You want to go to your store. You want to stay in your place. It's funny, I just, I'm not, I'm not going to point anybody out, but I see a bunch of saged women elbowing saged men. We get stuck in our ways. And this is a beautiful moment in Scripture because he's literally saying, I'm going to take you back to your homeland after you die. Joseph is going to close your eyes, and you're going to go back and be buried where you're supposed to be buried. And this happens. We'll see it in a couple chapters. This happens. But he tells them, with faith, I need you to faith me. I need you to faith me. In Genesis 5, verse 5, it says, Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. So he's like, all right, Lord, I'm going. I'm going to walk. I'm going to go where you want me to go. And the sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry home. I've missed this forever. Can you imagine what Jacob thought of wagons? Think about this. He had never seen a wagon before. Had certainly never ridden in a wagon. Look, the technology and everything forward thinking was so much more advanced in Egypt than it was in Canaan. Can you imagine seeing a wagon, wheels for the first time? Like, I don't know. It's rare that I'm just completely blown away these days. But this past week, I was blown away. I went to a friend's house. This is is one of my, my rich friends. Like, I'm talking, I drove, I was going to his house. And it's my first time to go to his house. I say oh, we're friends, but it's the first time he invited me. And so um, we're, I'm driving. I go through the gate. I don't know, am I supposed to stop or am I not supposed to stop at the security gate? I don't stop. I just keep going. Next thing you know, I look up in my mirror, and I've got a, it's a neighborhood police. It's on my tail. And so I'm thinking, oh, great. And so I just kind of, and my car's not that bad, by the way. Like, I'm, I mean, I'm not that obvious pulling into the neighborhood. But I make a couple turns. Cops still follow me. The officers still follow me. I turn around. I get lost. I call him like, hey, where the stink do you live? And he's like, I, and he starts trying to tell me how to get there. I'm like, I don't know, but I'm being chased by the police. He goes, oh, they just passed my house. So you're close. So you knew I was close. But anyway, so I finally get there. I go in and he's showing me around. And this is like, it's a beautiful house. I go in, I'm walking through the house and I'm standing in one room. And I've seen this before, but it's still impressive. From where I'm at, I could see three of the biggest TVs I've ever seen in my life, standing in one spot. In three different rooms, I mean, three TVs. I actually made a like, you need some more TVs? But then we go to his bathroom. We walk into his bathroom. And as I walk into the bathroom, I walk in, and he has his own toilet room. Same bathroom, his wife has her own toilet room. Two toilets, one bathroom. I've never, now some of you, this might be your house too. This may be the way you guys, this may be how the other people live. 
But it blew my mind. It's so crazy. And it was funny. I even, I'm like, hey, can I use the restroom? I, I will be honest with you. I said, can I use your bathroom? And he said, no. I said, well, can, can I use this one? He said, no. Walk back through, pass another bathroom. Hey, can I use this bathroom? He said, no. He wouldn't let me use the bathroom in his house, by the way. And so I don't know how you rich people operate, but next time someone comes to your house, just offer it. Just offer it, because that's like, that's like Disneyland. Two bathrooms, one. But at any rate, I was blown away. Something I'd never seen. I've never seen it before. I'd never seen two toilet closets in one bathroom. Can you imagine, though, never seeing a wagon? Oh, honestly, honestly, think about it. You've never seen one before. His mind is just blown by this. Verse 6, they took all of their livestock, their, their, all of their livestock. Now, this next week is going to be circled multiple times. This is going to become an enormous story in chapter 47. They also took their livestock, their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and they came into Egypt. Jacob, this is Israel, and all of his offspring with them. Now, what's fascinating, fascinating about this is Pharaoh had actually said, tell them not to bring anything. Don't pack anything. Everything that we have is theirs. But they still chose to pack up everything that they own, like the Clampets, and just move to Beverly Hills. Like, that's the scene you have to have in your head here. And so they stroll into town, and as they stroll into town, verse 7, his sons and his sons, his sons and his sons' sons, with him his daughters and his sons' daughters, and his offspring he brought with him to Egypt. Now, these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt. I need you to hear this. These are the who came into Egypt. This is Jacob and his sons. Now, the next several verses are going to be a list of names of everyone who came into Egypt with Jacob. Okay? I need you to pay attention for just a minute because what's going to happen is um, you're going to come up to me after service because you've watched a TikTok of a 25-year-old who thinks they've showed you something new in the Bible. And so let me, let me make sure that I, you understand this, okay? So it says here in the scriptures, uh, oh, let me do two things before I get there. Let me do two things because this is kind of cool. Uh, Genesis 46, 13, as it's going down this list of names in the scriptures, uh, Genesis 46, 13, it says this, this right here, this Job, Many scholars believe that this is Job. Now, it's argued. There are some who disagree, but some believe that this is Job, which is pretty crazy. Like the book of Job, the one who suffered and lost everything. So it's kind of crazy that this would be in this line, but some believe that. Here's the other thing I want to point out. In Genesis 46, 19, so, you know, Jacob had, Joseph had four wives. He had Leah. Remember, the Bible said she was hard to look at. I mean, she did, she was ugly. He had Zilpah. He had Bilfah. And then he also had, in verse 19, Rachel. And this is the only one that's listed as his wife. I want to just get this in because it's, uh, I like to. You can see, even in the story of early story life, that God had a design for marriage. And in the Garden of Eden, this design for marriage was he was going to take man and it was not good for him to be alone. He created woman and the two should become one. The two become one. It's not that the 45 become one, it's the two that become one. And so God designed and ordained marriage in the garden. It was his idea. And we see this here in this passage where Rachel's the only one that's called his wife, which means it's the only one that his soul was connected to, his heart was connected to. I think it's pretty powerful to be able to just bring this into pace. 
Okay, come with me to 46, 26 to 27. Let me get back to my 25-year-old TikTok debunking. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons, wives, were 60 persons in all. Okay, here we go, 27. And the sons of Joseph, who were born in, okay, watch this, the sons of Joseph. So Jacob's coming into where Joseph lives. He's bringing in his people into Jerusalem. Now, the sons of Joseph, who were, can you read this out loud? Say that out loud. Okay, that's not hard, right? It's in rocket science. Where all the people living in Jacob's house came to Egypt, there were 70. So there were 70. So what ends up happening here is um, somebody inevitably is going to come up to me after service today, or perhaps you already have in your mind, you've said, no, no, I heard this one guy said there were 75. In fact, go ahead and go to Acts 7.14. Acts 7.14, it goes on Acts 7.14. It says, and Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, and it says 75 persons in all, right? So this is the, this is the problem. So people say, well, it says in Acts 75 came in, but in Genesis, it says only 70 came in. There's a mistake in the Bible. And this is what we get from our 25-year-old TikTokers saying, look, I found a mistake in the Bible, which I think is always awesome, by the way. When you think someone is revealing something incredibly new or something's being uncovered, I'll warn you of this, two things. Number one, Islam was founded 700 years after Christianity. So just know that there's nothing new under the sun. And I don't know, anything a thousand years later, it would be like, I'm not even gonna go there. So what I want you to know, though, is this. I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this very, very clearly. The Bible is several thousand years old. The Bible was written over the course of 1,500 years, has withstood the test of time of 2,000 years. And I assure you that a 25-year-older on TikTok is not going to expose holes or weaknesses in the scripture because they're not there first and foremost. Secondly, it's just clickbait. Third thing I would tell you is I know that the Chinese are trying to rewrite the Bible. I understand that. I get that. I understand there are certain cultures who don't even have the scriptures. And we have Bibles in our house that are all dusty and we don't ever pick them up. We certainly aren't memorizing. We certainly aren't hiding the word of God in our own hearts. But that's another story. What I need you to understand is there is something very profound about the scriptures that everyone wants to try to poke holes. Was it 70, was it 75? Well, very clearly, it was 70 come in. Genesis 46, 20, I will reiterate this one. And Joseph in the land of Egypt, two Joseph in the land of Egypt were born. This was his son, Manasseh and Ephraim. They were born to, um, he had married an Egyptian woman and they were born there. Now Manasseh had also had a child. Ephraim actually had a child and a grandchild. And so they make up the 75 that were collected as part of his family that we talk about in Acts chapter seven, verse 14. So 70 came in, here's the additional five, 75. <laughs> so I just, no, 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 I just, I just think it's, it's funny when people are like, no, there's the error in the Bible, there's the error in the Bible. Okay, it's 46, 28, here we go. 46, 28 says, and he sent Joseph, that's Israel. Jacob sent Judah, that's his son, it's one of Joseph's brothers, ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. 
and they came into the land of Goshen. Now, when they got to the land of Goshen, you have to understand that this is uh, the delta of the Nile, and this is the most plush, perfect land for shepherds to settle in. I mean, this is cream of the crop moments here. And so they settle into this land, beautiful land. Verse 29, then Joseph prepared his chariot, which again, dad has never seen a chariot. And he went up to meet Israel, his father in Goshen. He presented himself and he fell on his neck and wept on his neck for a good while. Wept. This is the sixth time that we see Joseph weep and the, re, the reconciliation of him and his family. But I, I, get, I, get, I see the, the prodigal son in this story. I can just see the father's son running down the street, just grabbing hold of each other. I recently saw a video of, of a, a bull rider was riding a bull, got flipped off, and he's laying passed out on the ground, and his dad jumped out of the stands, comes over and lays down on top of his son while the bull's trying to ram his son. I don't know if anybody's seen that or not, but like that's the job of a dad. You've all seen the one in the race where guys in the Olympics, he's running, he passes out, he can't, he hurts himself, he can't finish. His dad runs out on the track, picks him up, and he finishes the race with the son. So you begin to see these moments where I see father, son come together, and it's glorious, and I start getting all teary-eyed because I love my son so much. But in this moment, Imagine Jacob, imagine what Israel felt. 21 years he thought his son was dead. He's now seeing him for the first time. When he left, he's a, he's a boy. 21 years have passed. He shaved his beard, he's got all the makeup on. He's now walking and talking like an Egyptian. But can you imagine what his dad felt? It says that Joseph wept. Imagine what Jacob was doing. Jacob speaks these words. Israel said to Joseph as they're holding each other crying, he said, now let me die. Now this has been an anthem. He is, I mean, he, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, again, I don't know a flair for dramatics, but Jacob, he's pretty dramatic. Okay, I'm very dramatic too. But he, every, he keeps saying, he said this multiple times, like, I will die without this, I will die without this, I'm just gonna go ahead and die. Well, in this moment, he's like, I now can die since I have seen your face and know that you still live. Like just, you can see the raw emotion of this. Again, I see this similarity between even this moment and Simeon in the New Testament when we see Jesus being presented as a baby when Simeon is holding Jesus who he was proclaimed. Simeon knew that he would hold the Messiah. He said, now that I've held and seen the face of Messiah, I can die, I am done. So I see the similarities, and this is just one more of a whole list of things that we see. We have been walking through, and I keep saying, look, you'll, you'll see similarities between Jesus, between Jesus and Joseph, between Jesus and Joseph. This is one more. Now, I'm about to give you the granddaddy of all the comparisons. Like, as many times as the Joseph and Jesus comparison, we've bumped into this. As many times as we've bumped into it, you're about to see the biggest comparison in all of the bumping in that we've seen. I was eating dinner at a restaurant. I, I, my wife told me not to tell this story. Um, I was eating dinner at a restaurant uh, this past week with some friends and I'm sitting at a table. And first of all, my back's to the room, which I'm always uncomfortable with, but that's okay. I'm sitting there and there's um, a lady who I guess she's a track star, I don't know, but she got up and down from her table 38 times. But as I'm sitting there at my table, every time she got up, because the tables were kind of close, but I stayed in my corridor. Like my arms aren't hanging off the table. I'm on the table. And she would turn to walk between the tables and she would hit my arm. 
she would hit my arm. Now, I didn't know how to explain exactly why this happened. It didn't happen once, not twice, not three times. Four times, this lady's trailer, she was carrying a trailer, rammed my arm and knocked me off the table. Now, I was super polite every single time, but she kept bumping into me, and I'm like, you have gotta be kidding me, but it's funny, because the last time she bumped into me, I thought, this is a perfect illustration to all the times we see Joseph and Jesus similarities bump into each other. So my wife says, you can't use that. So she's not in here, so there you go. <laughs> my secret is safe with you. <laughs> Watch this. Joseph, after he's cried on his dad's shoulders, his brothers are there. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Goshen have come to me. He said, I'm going to go up to Pharaoh and I'm going to tell him. Do you understand what this is actually proclaiming? Let me make sure that you get this. Because Joseph was both Hebrew and now through adoption had become Egyptian. And so he's saying, I'm gonna go up and have a conversation with Pharaoh. I'm gonna be the mediator between you and Pharaoh. This is a beautiful picture of who Jesus ultimately is. Again, this is one more. Let me just read a list of things that I've sort of taken track of over the course of the time. These are the bumping into similarities between Jesus and Joseph. These are similarities. Special love by his father. They were both um, mocked by their families. They were both sold for silver. They were both stripped of their robes. They were both falsely accused, faithful during temptation. They were exalted after humiliation, trusted God's purpose. They both welcomed Gentiles into his family. They gave hungry people, both of them gave hungry people bread. And both of them, people must or were called, proclaimed to bow their knee and their head before them. And then here, Joseph is actually the mediator between the Hebrews and the Egyptians. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, an expl explanation of Jesus, it says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus, because Jesus was 100% man and he was 100% God, he was the only one who could mediate between us and God. And so you see this comparison, again, I'm telling you, it was relentless as we studied this story, over and over and over, seeing these comparisons. But I see this moment where he is the mediator. He is the one who can communicate to Pharaoh. When we pray, when we see God in heaven today, standing at the right hand of the throne of God is the Lord Jesus, according to Acts chapter 7. And he is petitioning, and he is commissioning, and he is interceding on your behalf, because he's our mediator. You do not have access to the Father without Christ Jesus. There's only one way to the Father. Jesus said it himself in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody, because I'm the mediator, comes to the Father but by me. 46, 32. And the men, he's like, I'm going go to I'm gonna go to Pharaoh and I'm going to tell him. And the men are shepherds for they have been keepers of livestock. Again, this is huge next week, by the way keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And when Pharaoh calls you, he asks you, 
The next verse, verse 33, when Pharaoh calls you in, he's going to call you in, and he's going to ask you, what's your occupation? What's your occupation? You're going to tell him, my thing's not, my thing's not updating. What's your occupation? He's going to say, he's basically saying to them, I need you to not lie. I need you to tell the truth. Listen to what he says in verse 34. He says, and you shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now. So he's saying, look, when he calls you in and he says, what do you do? You tell him the truth. I'm the keeper of livestock. I have a friend who was looking for a job for a long time, and he finally found one, and he's telling me about it. He's like, yeah, so I just got a job. I'm like, oh, man, that's awesome. What are you doing? He says, well, I'm actually, um, I'm going to be a, a technician. I'm going to work on, on uh, like, industrial freezers and refrigerators and stoves. I said, wow. I said, do you know how to do any of that? He goes, absolutely not. But I, I mean, I need a job. I'm going to learn. I'm like, okay, awesome. He calls me a week later. He's like, yeah, man, be praying for me. I need to, I'm looking for a job. I'm like, what happened to your job? He goes, well, I spent about five hours at a, working on a freezer. And when the boss got there, um, it was unplugged. And so he let me go. <laughs> I'm like, that's awesome. Send a six-year-old to fix it. He's like, tell the truth, because this, this is your lot in life. Now watch this, verse 34. Both we and our fathers, in order that we may dwell in the land of Goshen. He's like, tell the truth that we are shepherds so that we may dwell in the land of Goshen. We want to live in Goshen. This is where we want to be. In fact, in the book of Exodus, in 400 years from now, we're going to see they're still living in the land of Goshen. And so he says, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Now his brothers at this moment are thinking, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. If they hate shepherds, why would we tell them that we're shepherds? Joseph's point was really clean. And there's all sorts of, of writings around why this verse existed. But it was really clean. He was saying, I need you to trust God. Not only do I need you to trust God, but I need you to humble yourself in order that you can be exalted by the Father. See, the thing about Joseph is Joseph had been sold into slavery. He had been in prison. He had known what, hum he knew what humility looked like. He knew what humble upon humble upon humble looks like. And so through his humility, through him being humbled, he was ultimately exalt he was exalted. Christ understood, again, Humiliation, not just death, but death even upon a cross. The most humiliating way to possibly die, Jesus died on our behalf. The idea of, of being humiliated or finding humiliation and then exalted by God is incredibly repetitive in Scripture. And Joseph had learned this lesson. And so he's telling his brothers, I need you to speak the truth, and I need you to understand that you're going to be hated by the people. They are going to look down on you, but you're going to trust God, and you are going to be exalted through your faithfulness. You are going to be faithful to God's calling. You are going to be faithful, even though everybody around you is going to hate you. Everything everybody around you is going to be, you're going to be detestable to them. You're going to trust God and you're gonna stay faithful. I don't like fear-mongering, but I do want to say this truth. Maybe not in our lifetime, maybe it's our kids. There's gonna come a day when those who proclaim Christ are not just gonna be mocked publicly as we are today, but there will be persecution. It will be humiliating. And if people fail to trust God in the darkest of moments, his light's never gonna shine. 
And so I'm just telling you, in this room, in this moment, you have to understand, Joseph knew something about the day and the time that he lived in, and he's saying, you're going to trust God, and you are going to go ahead and walk through the humiliation. You are gonna be humble, put a towel over your arm, and you are gonna serve until God sees fit to exalt you. Now, I'm not gonna complete the story because we'll continue next week, but by them being faithful, by them telling the truth, by them trusting God, what's gonna happen just next week, I'm talking quick results, you're gonna see that God was ready to bless humility and honesty. It's hard for me to find a humble heart living in anger, and it's, so is, it's for you as well. It's hard for me to have a humble heart when I think everybody around me are a bunch of idiots. And I think that they are. But the scriptures, and what I've been battling, what I think we have to battle as men and women of God today is if we're gonna trust God, our hearts have to be humble before him. And so I'm gonna ask you just to bow your heads, I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes, and I want you in this moment to know that you have a mediator between you and the Father. Even right now, you pray through the name of Jesus. You're praying to God, but you're praying in the name of Jesus. And so I want you to spend a moment, and I want to ask you the thorough question here. Is your heart humble before the Lord? And are you trusting him in your life? Again, teaching through the scriptures, sometimes things are left off. I wish I could complete to next week. But just seeing where we are today in the scripture, if this is all the scripture you ever heard in your life, not even knowing the glory that's going to come next, just in this moment, do you trust God and is your heart humble? And if you're struggling to trust the Lord, that's what you pray right now. God, would you help me in my trust? Would you establish a deeper faith? Would you establish a deeper faith? If you're in this room and you are like me and you struggle with having a humble heart, would you just pray, God, I, I wanna put a towel over my arm. I wanna be faithful to what you have called me to be, your hands and your feet, your ambassador. And so whether it's struggling with trust or struggling with the humble heart, whichever it is for you, or maybe it's both for you, I want you just to spend a moment just praying, God, would you work in this area of my life? A small tweak, a massive tweak. Lord, I wanna trust you and I want a humble heart. I want to be used by you. Through a humble heart and through trusting God, Joseph and his brothers are ultimately going to bless an entire nation. What if that's you? What if that's you today? What if it's your trust? What if it's your humble heart? Lord God, I pray over my brothers and sisters in this room that you would give us the ability to trust you and you would humble our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody in the house said, Amen. 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 Amen.